0: Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning seeking your wisdom. We know that your true wisdom will bring fruit and it will bring flourishing into our lives, Lord. So we pray that by the power of your spirit you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Um you had an opportunity to meet those who are going to be baptized, and I just want to remind you that baptism is at three p m today at the old airport beach park and unlike the usual baptisms where we first um have a meal, eat, and then uh start the baptism for sunset uh this this time we 're going do uh the we 're going to start baptizing around three thirty um The tide is going to be really low for sunset, so we're hoping to kind of catch some water. Um, so don't be late. 3.30, we're going to be gathering at the beach to start to baptize. So as we make our way through the book of Proverbs, our desire is to learn and receive godly wisdom because we believe that only godly wisdom can bring flourishing for our lives. And godly wisdom, it sometimes contradicts, or a lot of times contradicts worldly wisdom. Um, It is hard to hear, and sometimes godly wisdom will be offensive, especially in light of what our culture approves and disapproves. But it's the only wisdom that guarantees our flourishing as God's people. And we believe it is so important for us to come on a Sunday morning and devote ourselves, to devote our time to God's Word, because that's where the wisdom comes from. And this morning we have a pretty practical text. Solomon, in his wisdom, brings us to this character who he refers to as the sluggard. And to those of you who don't know what sluggard means, uh, sluggard literally comes from the word slug. and Slugs are slow, therefore sluggard. In Hebrew, the word for sluggard is etzel, um, which means to be a slack, a sloth, lazy, and stupid. And so here in our in our text, Solomon cries out to the lazy, and he says, "How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep?" And oftentimes, when we uh, imagine lazy people, when we think of sluggards, uh, the images that might come to our head are people who you know binge watch shows from till till 2 a.m. and then sleep until 2 p.m. Couch potatoes that are glued to their video games and to their TVs all day long. Uh, Employees that do everything possible not to do the job they were hired to do. Um, Kids that sit around in coffee shops eating oval toasts, you know, (laughs) waiting, (laughs) waiting for money to magically appear in their accounts so they can go on the next backpacking Euro trip. Or homies... They're slacking off on the beach or they're lanai smoking joints all day long. And I'm sure you have many, many good examples of lazy people. But as we look closer at Solomon's words this morning and seek to rethink laziness, what we can realize is that laziness stems out far past the stereotypical slackers. It reaches much further than we suspect, and many of us are slaggards, Sluggards, without even knowing it, or slackers, it's a mix. <laughs> and, and when we hear Solomon call out to the sluggard, we might think that he's calling them to the opposite spectrum. We might think that, he's, that the contrary of a sluggard is, is the other extreme, you know, to be someone who is constantly busy, um, someone who has a bazillion things going on at once, they can't stop moving, they're always up to something. But the solution to laziness is not busyness. That is not the life that Solomon is calling us to. I think it would be helpful for us to go to another book that Solomon wrote, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Um, some of the most famous words that Solomon written. And I think these words can bring clarity and balance to what our lives should look like in light of laziness. Chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, verse 1. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and time for peace. Verse 12, I perceive that there is nothing better for people than to be joyful and to do good, as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. This is God's gift to man. So as, as we hear these words from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, what Solomon is doing is he, he's taking us through different stages of life, different periods, different moments, and what he's repeatedly telling us is that there is a time. There is a time. There is a season for everything. There's a time to work and be busy, a time to rest and enjoy the fruit of your labor, and time for everything else in between. And what I want us to see this morning is that a sluggard is not just the one who is glued to his bed or his TV, but a sluggard is the one who fails to recognize and act in proper time and season over and over again. So when it's time to do something, then the time has come, and when we fail to do it, that's what sluggard is. And we'll revisit this in a moment. But as we try to seek um, godly wisdom through these verses, what I want us to consider um, is four things this morning. First, I want us to consider the warnings to the sluggard. Uh, secondly, consider the ant, like Solomon is calling us to. Third, we're going to consider God. And lastly, we're going to consider the gospel. But before we do that, to get a better idea of what how Solomon thinks of lazy people, what he thinks of sluggards, and he there's there's a lot of verses, we're not going to cover them all today, but I want us to go specifically to Proverbs 26, verse 13 through 16. And here Solomon gives us four vivid images of sluggards. And these images are meant to be a sort of a tragic comedy that we can, you know, maybe kind of laugh at or grin. But then we should realize that this is a sober reminder of the sad state of a sluggard, of a lazy. Listen to these images, verse 13. The sluggard says, There is a lion on the road. There is a lion in the streets. My dad would uh, quote this verse to me every time I made a big deal of a chore as a kid. Um, the sluggard fears the sluggard task. he exaggerates a situation, and he makes it impossible, seem impossible to accomplish. "There is a lion on, on the street. I'm not going to work today. There is no lion." Verse 14: "As a dirt, as, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in bed. Um, In my opinion, I think if Solomon was with us here today, he would say, um, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his phone. I think that cell phones are the epitome of laziness in our culture. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you get off your phone? I think that's what Solomon would sell us today. So, Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Some chronic laziness. And lastly, verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than the seven men who can answer sensibly. A sluggard doesn't recognize his stupidity. In light of the multitude of wisdom and sensible counsel, he still thinks he's right and wise. And that is why it is so important for us, like I said before, to gather together and to hear the word of God and pray and beg God to, by the power of his spirit, illuminate our minds and hearts to see where we are at truly and where God is calling us to go. Because so often we are blind by our stupidity Thinking we are wise, we are actually standing on sinking sand. And even good counsel won't help. Only God can graciously do that work. So as we consider the warnings, we read in Proverbs 6, starting verse 9, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Solomon's warning starts with a question. And to this question, no one knows the answer. No one knows how long a sluggard will sleep, slumber, and rest. But the one thing that is sure, the one thing that is clear to us, is that if he continues in his slumber... Solomon says, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You can't escape that. And before we go any further, I just want to make a disclaimer. Because we're gonna be talking about we're talking about poverty here. But I just want to let you guys know that not all poverty is a result of laziness. We are very narrow minded when, when we think that laziness is the only case for poverty. There are many other reasons why people can be poor, and God commands those who live in abundance to take care of those in need. And that includes widows, orphans, disabled, sick, and the truly afflicted. God calls us to help them. And I say truly afflicted uh, because we have a bunch of able-bodied kids roaming the downtowns of America claiming to be victims of corporate America. And Paul clearly says in Thessalonians 3.10, if you are able-bodied and if you are not willing to work, he says, let him not eat. Okay, The Bible is very clear on that. So with that disclaimer, that not all poor are poor because of laziness. Let's continue. So the warning to the sluggard is that if he continues in his slumber, one thing is 100% sure. Poverty and want Will come, And look how he presents poverty and want. He makes them very tangible. In verse 11, he presents poverty as a robber or thief, and he presents want as an armed man. He characterizes them this way to show, this, to show us that these are real and dangerous enemies. And as I said before, one of the key marks of a sluggard of a lazy person, it's failure to act in time and in season. It is allowing something of less priority, something insignificant, to seize your time and attention as you delay what's important. And the opportunity starts slipping away to a point of no return. And at that point of no return, that's when the rug is pulled out from under you And in this moment, Solomon describes this moment as the arrival of the armed man, the thief and the robber. They will come with weapons up to their teeth, gun to your head, and you can't do nothing about it. These are images of force, force that cannot be resisted. So what's important to us is to realize that this truth doesn't just apply to those who waste their life behind screens or hinge to their bed. This truth applies to the most busiest and most productive people on earth. And we read in Ecclesiastes that there is a time and there is a season for everything. And flourishing comes when we have the wisdom to recognize those times and those seasons. And what are the consequences when we don't? If you're working 24-7 and you fail to take a Sabbath, fail to take rest, fatigue and sickness will come on you like an armed man. If you have a great job and you're being stupid with how you spend your time at work, the robber is coming for you. You're going to get fired. If you're a parent and God has entrusted you with kids, and you allow work or other stuff get in the way of you raising them in God's truth, there will be massive consequences. And by stuff, I I mean phones. I mean screens. These devices can do amazing, godly things, but a lot of us, for a lot of us, phones are a vice. They rob us of precious time, and they distract us with vain things, while precious moments with our loved ones just slip away. Are you postponing care for your body that might result in long-term health issues? Single dudes, are you slacking off and are you scared to ask a girl on a date and pursue a serious relationship? You say, there's a lion on the street. You are missing opportunities. I hear all the single girls are leaving town. <laughs> I met a couple uh, this week, and we were just talking, and I asked them, like, how did you guys meet? What's your love story? Um, and the wife responds. She's like, you know what? I found him really annoying the first time we met. He was so annoying. She's like, I just couldn't get away from him, I just, I just couldn't get away from him and I just wanted to get away from him. And I'm like, so what happened? You're married now. And he's, she's like, he pursued me. He wouldn't take no for an answer. He would not relent. And he found a way to her heart. Guys, don't take no as the first answer. Don't take the first no as an answer. you got to get at least 10. <laughs> when a girl says no, you think it's game over. But for her, the game is just starting. <laughs> So how's your marriage doing? How are your relationships doing? Are you slacking off and pursuing one another and pursuing reconciliation if reconciliation is needed? How long will you keep that pet sin of yours around? Why are you allowing it to be a source of hindrance to your flourishing? And we can go on and on and on. God gave, another example is God gave us dreams. He, gives us, he gave us desires to go and do something for his glory and we are delaying time. We are not acting in season. How long will you lie there, O oh sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And I don't know what may be going on in your life and how these truths can apply to you and what your specific situation is. But listen, Recognize the time and season. Do not delay. The stars will never be perfectly aligned. But what will happen is all the missed opportunities, all the delay and failure to recognize time and season will someday be guns pointed to your head. Let's consider the ant. Solomon says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer, and gathers her food in harvest. Solomon says, "the the creature that you wipe off the counter." Go to her and learn some wisdom. And when we think of like the animal kingdom, when we think of, you know, when you go to the zoo, uh, for the most part, most creatures are just. Laying around, they're lazy. Um, You know, as you look in the cages and the aquariums, everybody's just rolled up in their little corner and they just don't want to do anything. The ant, if you notice, never sits still. It's always on the move. It's always working. The ant knows that there is a time and that there is a season because she gathers her food in the summer and in the harvest. The ant knows that there are hard times coming And that there will be a time where there will be no food. And the stored food is going to bring flourishing. But look how she does it. We read in verse 7 that the ant works without having any chief, officer, or ruler. Ted Ed does these uh, cool animated educational videos on YouTube and... Recently, they did one on the ant, and they say that, yes, research shows that the ant has they have no managers. There's thousands of them working in armies in perfect harmony and completely without management. That is amazing. Not only is the ant able to recognize time and season. Not only is it diligent and hardworking, but it does so without any supervision without any management or control. The ant is self-motivated, self-accountable, and self-controlling. The ant doesn't rely on someone or something else to stimulate its enthusiasm. So next time before you step on the ant or smudge it off your counter, just take a moment and look at the ant. Observe its perfect work ethic. That's what Solomon is calling us to Even if you're not a sluggard, I think we all have something to learn from. And in a world where so many people, they excuse their laziness by victimizing themselves, we need more people like the ant. We need more people who have a backbone, who have conviction, who refuse to drift with the culture, who refuse instant pleasure. We need people who have a great vision for their life, a vision that's greater than immediate gratification. People who are self-motivated and with a good work ethic, and like an ant, we need people who are able to do life without chief, officer, ruler, or management, constantly poking, constantly pushing, constantly shoving you forward. In time, in in time of laziness, what we need is a vision that is greater than ourselves. We need a vision greater than the boring, mundane routines and the uneventful daily grind. We need something that will pull us out of our beds early morning, pull us away from our screens, and invigorate excitement to live. That's what we need. And I hope that the next two points will help us with that. So as we consider God, what does God think of work? What does God think of our mundane routines? Speaking of the daily grind, listen to this quote from Tim Keller. Quote, Every, Everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference. And all our good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught unless there is God. If the God of the Bible exists, and there is a truer reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest one, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. Unless there is God, none of our efforts matter. So how and why does the existence of God make Our efforts matter. How does the smallest effort, the most simplest one, how does it matter to God? When God created the world, he gave us, he gave the humans a mandate. He gave us an order. It's called the creation mandate. In Genesis 1.28, we read, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And then in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, this is before the fall, which means work and productivity was always part of God's perfect design for humanity. We were not created to sit around and do nothing and somehow sin has messed that up. No, no. Work was always part of God's plan for human flourishing. And the creation mandate is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a command to, for us to be fruitful, to subdue the earth, to have dominion over creation, to work and to keep the earth. It's God's command. So how does this creation mandate help us people living in the 21st century? Why does it matter today? You see, your aspiration, your desires to achieve, to accomplish, to be creative, to be productive, those desires didn't just come out of nowhere. These are God-given desires, and they are meant to work together with God's mandate to cultivate and subdue the earth. God created everything, but he's, he didn't distance himself from us. He didn't distance himself from creation he is intimately involved with it, through the work and through the creation mandate. He continues to be a part of us, part, part of creation. Some of us we divide work into uh, Christian and, and secular. We divide them into two categories. Um, you, know, There's, there's a work from ministers and missionaries and uh, counselors and pastors. And there's you know the secondary, the not-so-cool work for you know, you know, for everybody else. We think that you know working at the church, working for the mission is somehow holier, somehow better. But the Bible doesn't do that. All work as long as our work brings flourishing and good to other people is the work of God. If you're a pastor or a builder, missionary or nurse, evangelist or farmer, counselor, barista, mother, caretaker, whatever your job is, as long as it's bringing about flourishing to others, it's the work of God. We pray often and say, our Father, give us today our daily bread. Provide for us. Provide our food, our clothing, shelter, and he does provide, but it doesn't just magically appear, even though it might seem like things just magically appear at Costco. Someone built the home that you live in. A farmer raises cattle. They grow grains and vegetables so that we could have food. Someone bakes bread. Someone grows cotton and raises sheep so that we can have clothes. Behind every provision, there's a whole process that takes place. And God is intimately involved in it. That's how God gives. That's how he provides. That's how he feeds his creation. His hands work through the working hands of people. So when you work, you become the hands of God to provide for his creation. That is why Paul said, so, wh- so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Christian or secular, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God because your work matters. Um, here's a quote from Luther, Martin Luther. On this topic, he wrote a lot about vocation and how our vocation can or does glorify God and bring fruit to creation. Um, He says, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays, not because she may be singing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves a clean floor. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because, because God is interested in good craftsmanship, end quote." So if you're a doctor or a nurse who fights for the health and for the life of others, if you're a lawyer who is advancing justice, a mother who is investing and who is raising the next generation, if you're a musician. An artist, a police officer, grandma, grandpa, real estate agent, if you're in ministry, construction worker, whatever else your profession or employment does, when you are doing your work for the good of others, for the betterment of your work environment, and for the glory of God, you are doing exactly what God has called you to do in this time and in this season. And your work has dignity and it has value to God and to His creation. It matters to God, no matter how insignificant you think it is, even though nobody sees it, even though nobody pats you on the back or appreciates you. That work matters to God. Your hands become the hands of God to provide for his creation. And if it's impossible for you to do your work with, you know, those three things in mind, you probably should switch your job, probably doing something sketchy. Um, but these truths, they have so much implications that we just cannot get into today, but what these truths should do, they should completely change the way we work and the way we view work, and I'm not talking about work that, that, that makes money. All of us are doing something constantly. It's every type of work, because it should, this truth should change the way we treat our employees, should change the way we treat our bosses, should change the way we treat one another, because we all ultimately work for God, and ultimately, God works through us. And when we realize this, when we start thinking about work in this way, or about anything that you do, there's no room for laziness. There's no room for slothfulness. We're not working for ourselves. We're working for God and for the advancement of his mission. Lastly, let's consider the gospel. In Genesis 2, we read that God rested on the seventh day. But after the fall, as creation went into chaos, God went to work. And the mission of God was to save his people from their sin. And guess what? God did not delay. He did not slumber. But Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And at the perfect time, Jesus came. And he did not come to chill and be a sluggard, but he came to do the will and the work of his father. Mark 10 tells us the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his work. It was to serve others and to die as a ransom for sinners. Christ knew what his mission was on earth, and he accomplished that work perfectly. Jesus became the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He completed the work. And look at, look at Jesus' work ethic. He had the hardest job anybody can ever imagine in all eternity. And he did it with joy, and he did it with endurance. That's some work ethic right there. The work that we fail to do, Jesus has done. He has completed it. The sinless life that we could not live, Jesus lived. And on the cross, he satisfied God's wrath for all the sins that we committed. He satisfied God's wrath for all the times in life that we were lazy, for all the seasons that we delayed, and all the, all the opportunities that we missed in our sluggard and lazy state, Jesus paid for it all. And, though, and through his blood, he made us children of God. And now as children of God, he calls us not to be lazy, but to continue the work that he has started here. Knowing that this reality is not the true reality. There's a truer reality that we live for. And our life here is not meant to serve ourselves. Jesus saved us. He rescued us from self-centered work. We can do God's work. We We can work to seek and serve one another. So if you're a Christian and God has given you gifts, He's given you talents... He's giving you resources. Use them to advance his kingdom. Use it to advance the good news of Jesus. Some have financial abundance. Some of you have time. Some of you have wisdom that you can speak into someone. You have health. Use these resources to join God in his work, to advance the gospel, and to serve one another. And in conclusion, if you do not know Jesus today, he's not your Lord, if he's not your Savior, I urge you to recognize the time and the season. Do not be a sluggard. Repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work that you have accomplished you were not a sluggard, you were not lazy, but you have with joy endured the cross. Father, we thank you that you have saved us from self-centered work, from self-centered service, Lord, and I pray that we would be invigorated by this, Lord. We would be invigorated by the thought that whatever our work is, whatever we do, it matters, Lord. Father, it matters to you. Lord, for those who are overworked, their mind is constantly going. They're so busy all the time. Father, may they not slumber in their rest. Lord, bring them to a place of rest. And for those who are just lazy, Father, they can't find the inspiration. They just can't find the drive to get up in the morning and do what you have called us to do, Father. We pray that you would give them a great vision of what their life is and who they are in you, Lord, so that they would be able, Father, to glorify you through their work. Father, may you be glorified in our lives through everything that we do, in all the seasons, in all times. In your name we pray, amen.